Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity, a conversation centering Christ and Asian American perspectives, featuring Daniel Lee, theology and ministry professor at Fuller Seminary. Hey, welcome listeners to another edition of Centering. It's great to have you. In this inaugural season, we are asking the big questions impacting the Asian American church. And today we're asking who are Asian Americans and specifically who are unseen Asian Americans. And Daniel Lee uh, is here with me in the studio. And Daniel, you want to speak to that a bit? Yeah, I mean, often when we say Asian American, uh, that term gets monopolized. I think the term, technical term is ethnic monopolizing. So whoever basically has the most privilege and power, often Chinese Americans are actually in Christian circles, a lot of times Korean Americans monopolize the whole term, mm. right? But as we know, Asian Americans, this is how I always organize it. We say East Asians, Southeast Asian, and South Asians. You have to at least cover those three mm. main areas, yeah. right? And we also have to cover the fact that, uh, you know, not all of us are immigrants or even uh, uh, recent people or even in terms of like even refugees. We, you know, we have 150 years of Asian American history. So how do you keep that all together in a sense, right? But this thing about pan-ethnicity is what, what it's called. It becomes really, really problematic because many Asian Americans just become totally invisible. And this is, you know, we talk about the problem of like, or the issue of brown Asian Americans, yeah. right? So a lot of Southeast Asians, uh, Asian Americans, and also South Asian Americans, they just, nobody really knows, even though, I mean, they make up like a solid one third of Asian American population. So that's, that's the backdrop in terms of how we think about representation and kind of seeing Asian Americans. Yeah, yeah. And so today we want to get into some of those distinctives and I think this happens both in kind of American media uh, and and it happens in the Asian American community and the church. And so so today Daniel and I have a very special guest with us, uh, Ken Kong, who's the director of Southeast Asian Ministries and the founder of Southeast Asian uh, Catalyst. And we'll talk more about those organizations. So Ken, I think maybe the best way and most interesting way to get at some of the terrain that we want to cover today is for you to tell us a little bit about your story. So I'm going to have you go back to your journey with your family as a small child in Cambodia and what the conditions were like then and your experience of how you arrived here in the United States. Sure. Sure. So yeah, I was born in in the later parts of 1978. But legally, I'm actually 1979, March 2nd, 1979. There's a long story behind that. But uh, yeah, so I was born in Cambodia, was taken over by the Khmer Rouge, which was a communist party that probably wiped about 30% of the population of about 15 million people of that time. And they forced people in the labor camp. So my mom was in one labor camp and my dad was in another labor camp. They were forced to work aimlessly, mindlessly. Really, it's about control by the government. So I was born around that time. And so my mom would be in the labor, working in the field, doing whatever they want her to do. Uh, long story short, my dad escaped nor- the northern part of Cambodia to rescue my mom and myself. My older brother had already died of starvation and other illnesses during that time. And so uh, we pretty much got a little rickshaw and escaped the labor camp and went to the one, the next biggest province, which is Batambal. We ran out of money and then we ended up walking for about a week from Batambal to the refugee camp. But we couldn't get into the Thai refugee camp along the Thai uh, Cambodian border until my sister was born and then she had some sort of medical issue and they allowed us into Thailand. 
my dad pleaded with the United Nations and those who were responsible at camp saying, you can't send us back into Cambodia. If you do, the Khmer Rouge is right there and waiting to execute us. And so we ended up living in the Thai refugee camp for two years. Uh, didn't know where we were going to go, what we were going to do, thinking we were going to go back to Cambodia. Eventually, uh, my aunt took wind of us, who was already here in the States, in L.A. She sponsored us mm -hmm. to, to California. We pretty much lived in the, the projects of Long Beach, California. How old were you, roughly, when uh, all this was happening? I was probably about two years old. I mean, I remember certain things. I've had to uh, see professional counseling with my PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, so roughly about two, came to the U.S. about four, four and a half years old. Yeah, yeah. So. And, um, I mean, how have your parents then, and are they still with us, your parents? Yeah, yeah both my parents are living. I mean, to lose a son through that and... Well, they've lost two sons, two actually, sons. one in Cambodia, and another son actually in the refugee camp. Wow, okay. Well, thank you. And just for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with United States history and history in Southeast okay. Asia, I know that... U.S. history, this is uh, all public knowledge now, but it's so fraught with uh, contradictions sure. and moral ambiguities. Uh, the U.S. involvement in Southeast Asia, particularly in the 60s and 70s and even to the early 80s, is either caused or enabled or encouraged. Our involvement there resulted in all these mass tragedies and killings and displacement of thousands and thousands of Vietnamese and Laotians, uh, Hmong and Cambodians. Uh, and yet over here, what was said to the American public by the government is that we have a moral duty to open our arms to all these refugees because we are taking the high moral standing. And so how have you and your family and other uh, communities who, who are here because of fleeing these conditions in Southeast Asia that were in some ways uh, caused and influenced by the United States uh, how do you reconcile these these really contradictory realities? Sure. I mean, if you look at Cambodia and Southeast Asia, we were just a pawn in a bigger warfare. You know, uh, the Chinese, the, the Russians, the French, the United States were all involved with what's going on. When the fall of Saigon happened, there was a trickle effect that happened to people from Laos. Uh, you've had people who are very supportive uh, of the American CIA work and like the Mongol they've had to escape. You know, they were targeted by the Communist Party in Laos, and they've escaped to the northern part of Thailand. You had Vietnamese with the boat people. You know, they, they've escaped on boats and, and walked for miles upon miles, days and days, to the Thai refugee camp. And so you've had the Vietnamese experience, and you had, obviously, my experience being the Cambodian experience. And so it was definitely tough, very traumatic, obviously. Uh, PTSD was very rampant among those communities. I think from what I understand, PTSD is highest among Southeast Asians, as opposed to, you know, those who went to the Holocaust, uh, the Jews went to the Holocaust. And so it's just crazy. And, and, you know, the question is why, you know, why did it happen to our people? Why did we have to go through what we want, went through? The only answer I, I, I can't, I don't have an answer, but all I know is like, that God brought us to the United States so that we can know him. You know, in, in our Buddhist uh, atheistic country, we would, there would be no way for us to be exposed to the gospel except coming to the U.S. Uh, thank you for sharing all that, Ken. I mean, you know, I, as you know, like in our friendship, I've learned so much uh, through the ministry of SIAC because I just knew so little of this stuff, right? And even from the Southeast Asian perspective, 
Um, I know this great story about how CX started. Yeah. Uh, so can you share about that? Because I, I found this really, really, really fascinating and also very moving. Yeah. So CX stands for Southeast Asian Catalyst. And so uh, back in 2004, I was invited, uh, even before then, you know, I was kind of the, the key person, I guess, for this particular personal organization, the Asian American Leadership Conference. Well, like, we want to invite some of the Southeast Asian friends that you know uh, to this particular conference. I think it was, I can't remember, somewhere in LA. And, uh, and so I invited maybe about 13 or 14 of my friends from all of the US, Cambodians, Vietnamese, and I think Hmong were, were invited too. And, and they all, you know, not all of them came, but those who came out to the conference, we saw what God was doing and we were like, wow, God was doing amazing things among the Chinese, Japanese, and Korean community. And we asked ourselves, we had a little huddle, a little get together during, I think after lunch, and we were like, wow, God is doing amazing things in that community. But what about our community? What can God do among the, the Southeast Asian community, again, the Thai and the Cambodian, Vietnamese, and other communities? And we started dreaming and praying, said, God, you can use us too. You know, God, you're raising up leaders, you know, in these communities, but what about us? And, and that's when we started dreaming, fomenting, having these long discussions with various leaders. And then it came about that we should do something. Uh, you know, to really start an organization that really developed Southeast Asian leaders throughout the U.S. And so how many years has it been now since SIAC was started, or that conference that Daniel is referring to? 2004 uh, was the conference here in L.A. Uh, we didn't officially meet until like, uh, probably uh, the winter of 2005 to really dream and pray. We actually met in a basement in, in somebody's home in Philadelphia uh, through a generous grant of a friend. And so... We just we just slugged it out in a stanky old dark basement, and and that's how SIAC was formed, was in a basement in, in somebody's home in Philadelphia. Now, um, as somebody who basically is not only a Cambodian American, but really ha having this kind of uh, broader ministry among Southeast Asians, what have you learned about the different ethnic heritage people, right? You know, Asia, uh, Southeast Asians. And also the particular struggles and just some of the gifts that they bring, because you know this is a broad, really diverse group. Right? Sure. So, yeah. when we talk about Southeast Asian, we're talking from a religious perspective, Buddhism and, and you know Theravada Buddhism primarily, uh, but it's also encompassed you know those with Filipino background who didn't go through the genocide that took place in Laos and the Thais and another people group that are part of the Southeast Asian community, right? And so. But I think the general, what brings us together is this idea of, of what can we contribute, right? We have a very similar narrative of really, or we see a lot of our churches are struggling ministering to the next generation of Southeast Asian. Uh, they, yeah, their churches are not, uh, they don't have the means to really raise up leaders to have a, a good English ministry. And so, uh, uh, so that's what we've saw throughout the U.S. among you know, the different groups in the U.S. And I think the gifts that we bring to the community is our, our sense of sacrifice and suffering, right? We bring a suffering narrative that God is not only a God of hope, but he also mourn with us you know, in our community and the stuff that we're going through in our suffering in our churches as we're uh, beginning to work things through. And what does it mean for the future of our generation? You know, today we're, we're speaking about uh, Asian American people groups, ethnicities for whom uh, often invisible. Uh, to many of us. And so I, I know uh, in our American culture, uh, Asian Americans are often seen as a model minority, meaning that we're all presumed to be educated, wealthy, upwardly mobile, uh, successful people, et cetera, et cetera. But it does hide a really significant fact in that 
that in that diversity there are lots of social class economic uh, disparities uh, among us um, and so what's missing from our narrative of as Asian Americans in this country by not understanding the Southeast Asian experience and what kind of challenges are maybe unique to communities where where you're trying to start churches, trying to reach the next generation. Are there particular challenges in your communities that you find? Yeah, I think you know some of the challenges, and I can think of a few. It's the economic challenges. Uh, you know, coming from a Cambodian, Mongol, and Laotian background, uh, you know, I think you know generally speaking, we're real below the poverty line, right? Mm. Economically. This desire to strive for more, to do better, to go to Ivy League school and stuff like that, and, and at least in the Cambodian context, and when the Cambodians first came here, they weren't thinking of going to college, thinking of you know survival mode. Yeah. You know, where can we get a job? As the oldest sibling in a home, your responsibility is not necessarily academics, but it's finding a job to provide for your family. So that's the general narrative, and and you know, Southeast Asian community is how do we provide for a family now? The generation after, kind of my generation and after, you know, because our families have been established, we're, we live in, in certain places, it's to think about academic, think about long-term impact. You know, can we go to a university, a four-year college, or, or some sort of a trade school to really do better for our community? And for churches to really, uh, a ministry among these population, it's, it's hard, because you're dealing with a population that, that works a lot. You know, it's out there working and, and striving to do better, so they don't have time for spirituality. Yeah, besides the economic and, and academic challenges in the Southeast Asian community, there is actually the religious challenge, the spiritual challenge. You know, a lot of Southeast Asians still attribute themselves, and, and again, speaking from a Theravida perspective, which covers Laos, Thailand, and, and Cambodia, you know, if you're Cambodian, you're actually Buddhist. If you're Thai, you're Buddhist. You're Laotian, you're Buddhist. Mm. So the percentage of believers among those communities are actually very low. Uh, and this is just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more statistics probably about Three percent of, of Cambodians are followers of Christ. You know, Christians go to church, and even within those segments, they don't actually go to church on a regular basis. And even ethnic ties are very similar. So it's this idea that I'm Cambodian, I'm Buddhist. Why am I going to align myself with a white man's religion mm. and go to church on Sunday morning where I could be doing better things with my life? You know, watching football, whatever. You know. Yeah. And so those are the struggles that I think when you think about spirituality among these communities, because we're not communicating. We're not packing the gospel in a way that they can understand and live, right? Not just in a head understanding, but how do you practically live that, live it out? You know, on the news, we've been talking about the deportation uh, of, of some Southeast Asians and just the struggles over there. I mean, I think some, something that I, when I learned about it, I was kind of surprised by, but I guess I shouldn't have been. So can you talk more about that? Just This is a tangible issue for, for sure. some of the communities. Yeah. I mean, back in the uh, 80s and 90s, gangs were very prominent among the Cambodian community throughout the U.S. Uh, I'm not going to name the name of the gangs, but very prominent, very active. And when the law came into place, and it doesn't matter whether you're which political party you're in, um, and so it came into place, a lot of gang members who were, and those who committed crime, whether you're gangs or not, were placed in prisons. So they were on the list you know, by the federal government. And a lot of these folks who were not U.S. citizens, they're permanent residents, but not U.S. citizens, were actually deported back to Cambodia. So they kind of kind of put a pause on the whole criminal activity in the Southeast Asian community. Um, a friend of mine, who uh, I'm not going to name his name, but who was actually placed in prison, came out and he was on the list. 
And we, and he asked for prayer, and we prayed for him. And and praise God, I think at the beginning of this year, he was pardoned by uh, Governor Jerry Brown. Mm-hmm. And and he has a family of two, I think two to three children, and a wife, and they're here. I mean, how sad it is if he gets deported into Cambodia. You're just repeating a cycle of poverty in the children's community, in the community that's in these communities, when you, when you kick the father out of the home or send him back to Cambodia. And so you're, you're creating the cycle of poverty and, and fatherlessness in the community. Yeah, I think you're sharing it helps us to, to see that, you know, sometimes we don't think of immigration or deportation or asylum seekers having anything to do with Asian Americans. And so you help us to, to see that it's really a part of our own history and story. Uh, you mentioned very briefly about the challenge of translating the gospel for your people. It's like, it's good news. Uh, you've been at this for, uh, I don't know, uh, over a decade, some 12, 14 years. Can you share some of the, the ways that you see God moving in Southeast Asian communities, the church, uh, some of the exciting things that you're seeing happening? Sure, sure. I think some of the exciting things among the next generation of Southeast Asians is that uh, we're seeing a lot of people embrace their own identity, what it means to be a follower of Christ as a Hmong American, as a Cambodian American, as a Thai American. And what does that look like and what we contribute, you know, a very, a very communal, collective community. And so that's the beautiful thing that we're bringing to the, the larger Asian American. Also, just American evangelicalism or, or Christianity is this idea of community. You're having a communal understanding and, and caring for one another and loving for one another and being there for one another when we struggle. And so I think that's the beauty of what we bring. Uh, and the gospel is packed in that, you know, it's packed in community. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is community. And so, so yeah, that's the beauty that we bring into the, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just our own cultural identity, who we are. Yeah, like our, uh, you know, our common friend, Pisei, mm-hmm. he talks about how he, he came to Fuller, got a whole MDiv, but then he realized he didn't learn enough. He was like that one pastoral care class wasn't going to be able to address this issue. So he's like, he got a whole MFT degree, like family marriage therapy, like degree, so he can do pastoral care. He's like, I needed that degree to be... Uh, you know, a pastor that was equipped for this context, sure. for discipleship. Can you talk more about that, just in terms of how much that aspect of it, you talk about PTSD and all those different dimensions sure. make discipleship a more particular thing sure. in this context? Sure. So we look at discipleship more than just getting together with somebody in Bible study and let's memorize the scripture, good navigators. And, but it's really life on life and, and living with the individual and talking about things that are important. Uh, I mean, even as a leaders and even leaders within the Southeast Asian community, I think one of the things we want to hone into as often as we can, as regular as we can, is you need to deal with your own mental health. A lot of leaders like myself, I'm not going to speak for myself, I've, I've, I've done the ministry, I've gone to church, I've done leadership development, all that great stuff. And I hit a wall when I started really dealing with my own PTSD struggle. As a, as, a, as a leader, as a minister of the gospel, Like I started having dreams and nightmares at night where I would see dead bodies. I would experience you know, uh, uh, just no horrific things and not to get into all the details but I find myself just weeping out of nowhere sometimes where where through a friend you say you need to seek mental health and I sought mental health and I was able to work through some of the stuff and pray through some of the stuff and it's still a process for me and it's an ongoing deal mm-hmm. so so I think for any Southeast Asian leaders that are serving you got to deal with your mental health first before you can actually help somebody deal with their own issues in life, you know, whether it's, uh, and a lot of younger Southeast Asians have secondary PTSD. Their parents are struggling, their only sibling is struggling, and they don't know how to articulate the pain that they're dealing with in their life. 
Uh, so that, that, that comes just the whole discipleship uh, you know, uh, factor. And so, Ken, you talked about how for a lot of Southeast Asians, um, their ethnic identity is intertwined with the religious heritage. I mean, you sure. can't really tease out the Buddhism from, from uh, Thai identity because it's totally intertwined together. And I think one of the things that we do at the Asian American Center is to talk about how do we, how do we make sense of religious heritage Maybe in some sense, and kind of tease it out to a degree where we can still appropriate it and still own it as a cultural heritage. Because if you can't do that, we, like, being a Christian literally makes you wider, which is really a, a huge problem. But how have you seen some of these dynamics in your ministry and what, do you, what kind of things do you do? Yeah, sure. So a lot of our ministry is really working among families, right? And, and I, when I train on the younger people to when I disciple them, I'll talk about my own story. Uh, and so in the real rich family, a lot of my family members are Buddhist. So if I'm going to say, if, they have, if somebody passed, well, like my aunt passed away beginning of this year, and she's not a believer in Christ and her kids are not, and she invited us to her, you know what I mean, her kids invited us to her ceremony. For a lot of Cambodian Christians, again, I'm just speaking from my perspective, a lot of Southeast would disagree with me, but that's, that's you know, their conscience. We have to go with our conscience, what the Bible says. And I, I went. I, I participate. I mean, I participate. I was actually there. This is the Buddhist ceremony. Buddhist ceremony chants and everything. And for me, the reason why I decided to go and do this because you want to lower the barrier of the gospel. Well, if I say I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be involved in your Buddhist ceremony. What I'm saying to them is, I'm better than you. I ta- I've taken on this Christianity. It's clothed in Westernism. That I'm better than you. I don't, I'm more superior. I don't want to be interacting with you. But if I go, they see, wow, his faith, what he believes in, is really true. That he does care for others who 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 don't follow his Jesus, and so and that's the same thing I communicate to younger folks who ask me, should I go to a Buddhist ceremony? I would say yes, because you go, you're actually opening the doors for relationships with your Buddhist parents, with your Buddhist siblings, and you're you're given access to their lives. Yes, yeah, so we want to stay with kind of uh, the kind of cultural dynamics that you're seeing played out in the Southeast Asian communities. I'm very curious about the younger generation, people your age and younger, who you work with. And really two things. One is, uh, I think, in other Asian ethnic cultures and communities, as subsequent generations are born, I think there's a tendency to want to be white and rejecting everything that their parents kind of represent to them. I'm curious if that's going on as well in, in your communities. And also, history is so important to you in your story and your communities. I know from where I come from, my parents and grandparents really never talked about where they come from and the conditions where they come from. Is that happening, uh, this intergenerational communication happening in Southeast Asian communities? Well, let me answer the first question uh, in brief. I think uh, for, for younger Southeast Asians, depending upon where they live in America, if you're in mid America, you want to be more white. If you're on the coast, you want to be more Asian American, and so the, the the idea of you know I'm not just Vietnamese or Cambodian, I'm actually Asian American. But do they really understand what that means when you say I'm Asian American? And so that, that's, that's a struggle that I think a lot of people don't think about when they think about you know I'm Asian American. You know this, this idea of model minority myth and stuff like that. And so uh, and and so that's that's a struggle. Uh, and again, it depends where you live. You want to be more white or you want to be more Asian American. And in some circles, you're actually content and happy to be your own Cambodian American, Vietnamese American. Like where I live, it's a strong Cambodian community. So therefore, there's pride in being Cambodian American. Um, as in the stories are being passed on from generations, 
a lot of parents, you know, part of the reason why they don't communicate their, their suffering and their pain is number one, it's a language barrier. A lot of young folks and a lot of old folks, they don't speak the English being the primary language. And so parents feel like, I don't speak English that well, and I don't know how to communicate my pain and my suffering and my own native language to you because you may not understand me. And then sometimes children don't understand their parents. They go and they get home, they lock us up in the room. So there's not a lot of familiar or family interactions in the home. And so that's one layer why the history is not being communicated. Another layer is just pain. You know, sharing pain is hard. Yeah. You know, pain of being raped, going into starvation, you know, losing family members. You know, a lot of young folks don't understand where they came from. A generation, my generation and after, don't understand their story. Unless, you know, when you, in, in U.S. history, is the Vietnam, Vietnam War, it's just totally skimmed over and sick. So you don't hear your own narrative and pain, even in the school systems. Now, Ken, I know that you are now uh, are planning to go back to Cambodia uh, for missions. And at the other SIAC uh, events that I've gone to, you know, you've kind of talked about this. The community talks about how instead of having missions back in Southeast Asia being colonized by white people or maybe, you know, naturally you can go back and share the gospel. But this is something you're doing as well. So can you talk, share more about that, how that's all connected together and how you see your calling? Sure. I mean, I see my calling straight out of the Bible where Jesus and, and the gospel and God go, using families to reach families, right? That's always been his tool. Right. And then seeing the gospel uh, you know, spread and seeing people come to Christ. So long story short, 2013, uh, before then, we've seen a bunch of our family members come to know Jesus Christ from my mom's side and my dad's side. And so we, we challenged them to really start home churches in, in their villages. And so my wife and I, we're actually moving to Cambodia next year to really follow those relationships. And they train some of these leaders to actually begin to minister to other family members and other relationships. So out of that, we've seen like maybe six or seven home churches come about through our family relationships. And so it's really been just a powerful too, where I just go and say, I'm a niece, I mean, I'm a nephew. I'm here just connecting with you, getting to know you. And so it allows that natural relationship where I'm not forcing the gospel, but relationally I can just sit down and have a conversation where I'm not some stranger, say, who are you? Why are you here? You know, what do you have to sell me? You know, how can I take advantage of you? Well, I'm just saying, I'm just here to, to relate with you, to share my story with my family. And so we're seeing the gospel flow in those relationships. And you've talked about this in terms of how, as part of the ministry of SEAC, the fact that this is something that you feel like uh, a lot of Southeast Asian uh, Christians, Southeast Asian American Christians can actually kind of uh, really kind of see as part of their calling. Sure. Yeah, we've seen some of our Southeast Asian friends go back to, to Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, and other, other places to relate with their family, just to interact. And for one guy in particular uh, has been back to the central part of Vietnam, and I had a chance to go with him. And we've interacted with a lot of his Vietnamese family members, and we just had conversation about Jesus, and we're seeing exciting things happening in, among his relationships. I think it's just really beautiful to to see this kind of transnational interaction uh, among families. It's really beautiful. If people want to support you or learn more about what you're doing in your friends, how can they find out more about um, your ministry? Yeah. Uh, I mean, my website, SoutheastAsianMinistries.com. Yeah, that's one way to find out if you want to support or pray or whatever. You know, my wife and I are looking to live in South in Cambodia indefinitely to minister among our relationship. And then we also want to minister in Thailand 
Thailand's even much harder to bring the gospel into. So we're still praying through and trying to figure that piece out. But yeah, if you want to support us at SoutheastAsianMinistries.com. Ken, thank you so much again for being here. I wanted to give you an opportunity to say some last words. Can you speak to two groups? One, to our uh, non-Southeast Asian Christian audience, and then also to our Southeast Asian brothers and sisters. Uh, just a word of encouragement. Well, to encourage my, my non-Southeast Asian brothers and sisters, don't forget about our stories. You know, our story is just as important. It's different. It's unique. Our story of suffering, coming to the U.S. and how we came to know Christ. It's unique in that sense, but we're part of the bigger picture. We're part of the bigger picture of God, what God is doing among our community. So don't forget us, you know, invite us, get to know our story, learn about us, and help us to learn about your story too. And so we want to be part of the family of God here in the U.S., you know. Uh, to my Southeast Asian brothers and sisters, you know, your stories matter. Your stories really do matter. Keep on sharing it. Keep on telling the world your story, whether you came from Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, wherever. Keep on sharing your story because your story really is important. And don't shy away, you know. Just don't shy away. Just keep on sharing it. And God is going to use your story so you really have an impact in the larger community. We're creating a community here at Centering, so we invite you to join the conversation by sending us your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at centered.today for a list of shows and other resources. This episode of Centering the Podcast on Asian American Christianity is produced by Jason Chu. Editing is by Carl Cathedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Kevin Doy. Above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.